Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and this is episode 109 with Mark Noodleberg former NCAA football coach turned author, entrepreneur, and high-performance coach. He now takes all of those lessons he's learned from the football field and applies them to the business community. He applies them to his own life first, his own family first, and then he teaches others how to apply it to theirs as well. So really excited to share his message. His new book, Family, Football, and Failure, launches this Thursday, September 8th. And we've got a link right below the show for you to grab your copy today. So looking forward to it. And just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, use the link below to join the newsletter, the Whole Human Method newsletter. If you want to get mindset tips that are designed to help you expand your mind and your career, subscribe to that newsletter. Let's dream bigger, live better. And before we get started, here's one quick note from our sponsors that make this show possible. Today's episode is sponsored by PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. For more than 85 years, PenFed Credit Union has offered great rates on loans, checking, and savings, serving our military and local communities. PenFed is open to everyone. Helping their members save is how they grow. Go to PenFed.org to see how you can save more with their best-in-class rates, products, and services. PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. Mark Noodleberg, welcome to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. Thank you for having me, Philip. Uh, it's really, it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm super excited to be here with you. And you kind of like, you were like, yeah, you know, I got a little intro. That's a great intro, by the yeah, way. Yeah, like, you like that? Intro. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, man. And I, I love what you and your dad are doing at On The Ball. For those that don't know, Mark Noodleberg, On The Ball Coaching in Florida, also uh, former collegiate football coach for a couple different teams. We're going to get into all of that. And everything that you guys put out, all of the content that you put out, whether it's on LinkedIn or YouTube or on your podcast or in your coaching sessions, it's not just around sales. It's not just around any one particular topic. It's it's human performance. It's getting 1% better one day at a time, just like we do here on this show. You guys have the same motto. And I'm really excited to share your message and really just soak up all the stuff that you learned about how to translate athletics into just everyday life because you know we're all athletes of life basically is the way i looked at it a thousand percent i mean every day we're performing right i think that's where people don't draw the parallels is like they look at athletes in a game and they're like oh that's their performance and i'm like yeah but you go to work every day and you have an opportunity to perform every day in your craft and so where people are like oh well it's on tv so it's different that's a true stage that's a true performance, I'm like, it's no different than walking into the boardroom or walking into a first meeting or first visit with, with a prospective client or stepping into a, 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 a position with your boss, whatever it is, that's your stage. That's your opportunity to perform and high performers before anything else, they think differently. Forget about God gifted ability. 
forget about genetics, forget about DNA, high performers think differently than everybody else. And if it starts in the mind, and shout out to Carol Dweck was a great book, Mindset, right? But if it starts in the mind, then that's the equalizer because everybody has a brain. Everybody has the ability to shape their mindset. Then if you have all of the other tools after that, then you could really think about, well, what's possible, but you could have all those tools and not have the mind and you're never going to reach the potential. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about fixed mindset versus growth mindset, just like she just breaks that entire thing down. I mean, she talked about Michael Jordan and a couple different people. I, I talk a lot about Andrew Huberman. He's also over at, uh, at USC. Um, sure. and actually I was just reading this this morning. This is the four agreements for anybody listening. I'm showing him a picture of Great four book. agreements, just put out some stuff. Yeah. Just about, you know, well, like we said, you, we can, I, I didn't realize that for a long time. I thought we kind of just were the way we were. Right. right. And I grew fixed. up. Yeah. Fixed mindset. Fixed mindset. Can't control. Can't yeah. change. Can't change what makes me who I am. Yeah. There's just some people that get to be successful and then there's people like me, you know, what are you yeah. going to do? And yeah. and there's those cool kids that run real fast and they're real strong and they get to play the different positions. And, and then there's me, right? There's the successful people in business that know how to do all the stuff. They got the secrets to life when we were back in kindergarten, but unfortunately I had to pee. So, you know, I was <laughs> I like, I just missed it. I just don't have it. And reading that book, it, it really, it shifted a lot that and Mickey Singer untethered soul and surrender experiment. He wrote these two books. Um, he's down in Florida too, in, in Gainesville, Florida. Um, I say it like Florida is not a huge state and it's just right around yeah, the corner. Okay. From me. I mean, it's not like not like Gainesville is close to me, but I, I lived in Gainesville for a little while. So Did it's you? a great town. Although it's a very small town. Yeah. I mean, and he, his whole plan, he's got a, it's an amazing story, but the untethered soul was all about the internal voice and those stories yeah. we tell ourselves, the things we believe, right. Yep. Uh, you know, just because I think it doesn't make it true. And, and well, just, I want to touch more on that mindset for a minute, because that's where I think I started to differentiate from everybody else that I was grew up with or was friends with or whatever. The thing that kind of made me different because I wasn't, gifted by any means as an athlete, I wasn't gifted by any means with like some super intelligence, right? Like I think I was probably pretty average growing up for my entire life, but I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My grandfather, my great grandfather was an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. And what that really means to me is it's not about actually owning a business. It's not about being a disruptor, doing something new to change the market. Being an entrepreneur is a mindset. Being an entrepreneur was taking responsibility for what happened that day and being responsible for making the changes necessary the following day. You had a bad day and revenue wasn't coming in. They weren't pointing the fingers at the market. They weren't complaining about how retail sucked or they weren't complaining about the changes. They were saying, all right, well, we got we to gotta do something. We got to get on the phones. We got to make sure we're talking to our customers. We got to invite people into the store. We got to get people here. Taking responsibility for the result was something that I inherited from my family. So as a kid, I was like, well, I got to be responsible for what's happening to me, which changed the way I operated in baseball when I wasn't the biggest, the strongest or the fastest, but they asked, asked me to pitch and I was like, okay, I'll pitch. I'll try it. And I'll work real hard at it because I'm going to be responsible for whatever happens to me. And that mindset carried me through my college coaching career and carries me today. 
Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. I, you know, we started vibing right away because uh, we've had the chance to talk to each other and we kind of know each other pretty well, but let's take a step back for a second. So I, I mentioned Florida. Why don't you just give, give the audience a little bit of a snapshot of, of, you know, who you are, what you've been doing. I mentioned college football. You just mentioned baseball and sure. The family. So I, I, I grew up in South Florida. Um, great place to grow up. Um, grew up, you know, with divorced parents. My dad was an entrepreneur building a business out of the backyard of our house. My mom worked really hard to, to be a single mom for a while and provide and, and, you know, with both really strong independent parents, I grew up in two separate homes, right. But really strong homes in both places. And that offered me the opportunity to develop that mindset that I talked about and develop some of that work ethic, which I think led me to be successful, but where I really started to take off into the college football career was I got offered the opportunity to be an equipment manager at Florida State University, which is where I attended school straight out in my freshman year. And I got offered the opportunity to volunteer to earn the scholarship position. I volunteered, I earned the scholarship position. That carried me for a couple of years until I transitioned into a student assistant coach as the staff started to carry over and coach Bowden brought in a new offensive coordinator. And then when that offensive coordinator, Jimbo Fisher became the head coach, I graduated and he offered me a spot on the staff as a full-time coach as the special teams quality control. So that's how I got into college football coaching. And the lessons I learned from that about how to create value for yourself in an organization how to earn your way into a spot, how to, you know, find ways to create systems and, you know, do things to help other people be successful on the staff in order to help yourself become more valuable were all things that I write about in my book, which comes out a month from now. But those lessons, the foundations of those, that, that, those experiences were set for me at home, set for me by my dad set for me by watching my family of entrepreneurs build businesses, build relationships, and take responsibility of being successful. So I just took the lessons that I learned at home, applied them into a different arena and a different industry. And that afforded me a 10-year career in college football coaching, which took me from Florida State to the University of Cincinnati, Cincinnati to the University of Florida, University of Florida to the University of Nevada, back across the country to Lafayette college before I stepped out. Yeah, no, I love that. You talked a lot, you know, that's accountability, right? And you got that lesson from a very young age. Uh, just real quick, what kind of business was your dad building out of the backyard? Is it, was it on the ball or was so it, it started? So you'll see my polo is on the ball. This has been our family agency for over 25 years now, close to 30 years. And it was built out of the backyard initially as a sports marketing agency. He had unbelievable connections into the South Florida sports teams. He leveraged those relationships to help organizations market their companies in really unique ways. That led to a career of representing a lot of athletes and their marketing efforts. That then transformed into a digital marketing, digital marketing agency early in the Facebook game. My dad's always understood the power of marketing, the power of building awareness and using that awareness to create opportunities that then transformed into um, a company called sales fuel, which was a high 
inch or high, a high level introduction company, which is business development. Uh, and now into our coaching agency, which we specialize in helping organizations get better in whatever, you know, whatever avenue they're looking to do that. So we have coaches that specialize in communications, in logistics, in nonprofit, in sales, in leadership. And depending on what your pain point is, we strive to have somebody that fits that need that's able to come in and offer you the leadership, the expertise, and the coaching to move that organization in the right direction. Yeah. No, I love that, man. That's, um, you're filling the gaps, right? I talk about that with mentorship. No one person fills our gaps, right? Not, no one person fills all our gaps. We need you know, a, a tribe of mentors. So many people talk about tribes and, and you can, any successful person, anyone that I've interviewed, anyone I've ever met and, and it probably started from a selfish place of envy. And then I, I really got into it and started talking to them. That's how I started the show. Started talking them to them out of curiosity, just to realize that no, like they're, they're normal people. And they had a team of people that taught them things, how to get there. And you talked about getting a lot of those lessons from a young age from your dad and his entrepreneurship and then carrying that through the opportunities you've had and being able to say yes to those. And what I'd like to kind of get you to share is like, what if you didn't have that, right? What if you didn't have that structure in your, in your youth, but now you're an adult and you, you still have that spirit within you that you want to do more. Like you understand that our fixed mindset versus growth mindset that I can be different. Well, I think that's the opportunity that we have in today's society that wasn't necessarily there 25 years ago, right? Like you had to be able to afford a book in order to get that information, right? Like back 30 years ago, if you wanted to know what Carol Dweck had in her book mindset, you had to go get the book and read the book or somebody had to give you that book and then you had to read it. In today's world, the access to information is limitless, right? Like you could just punch into YouTube, right? Like, you know, review of Carol Dweck's mindset, or you could say summary of whatever book you want, and you're going to get a teaser. You're going to get a lot of people. You're not going to get one. You're going to get 15 different people that have given their reviews on that book and the lessons they took from that book. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go read the book, but it offers you great insight into that book to say, hey, maybe this is something that can help me. And so, the access to information and the access to people has never been greater. The one thing you have to have if you're wanting to change your direction or change your mindset or change something about yourself is the willingness to ask for help. If you don't have the willingness to ask for help or you don't have the courage to ask for help, nobody's just going to give it to you. The people who become successful who had that team of people that got them there. 99.99999% of them just weren't afraid to ask, weren't afraid to be the one who asked the stupid question in the room or stand up and say, hey, can you explain more of that for me so I can really understand it? They weren't afraid to get the knowledge that they were then able to leverage to do the things that, that made them successful. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, every, every single person that I've talked to and that I've ever asked to be my, my mentor asked for their advice on something. I don't usually go up to people. Hey, will you be my mentor, Mark? That's not, right. usually, that's not, <laughs> that's, I've never even used that phrase ever, but you know, every time I've asked someone for, for help, right. Whether it was in, you know, my personal story, I had, I needed a lot of help. That's why I got help to give, right. I've changed my yep. life in, entirely. I was homeless eight years ago. 
And, but you know, there was always this moment where I was worried or I was afraid to ask them, like, I don't want to take their time or like, you know, they're too busy or like, who do I think I am? Why would I ask them? And then I, something happens and I do, and they couldn't be happier to share that message with me or to sit down. And it it doesn't mean that they drop everything that they're doing and and meet me right away. It might take some hustle, but. What's interesting is that like, I always say to people, they're like, Oh, well, what if, what if they tell me that they don't want to, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to give me advice. And I'm like, then you probably don't want the advice they were going to give you anyway. You know, like if you ask somebody for, Hey, I would like to share stories with you and just be able to, you know, spend some time learning your story and how you got to where you were. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that with you. They're not the kind of person you probably want to learn from anyway. So I think it's really important that in today's day and age, it's not necessarily, it's not just about being willing to ask, but being careful about who you ask. Like, I like the fact that you said you ask for their advice first before you ask them to be a mentor, because people's advice is based on their perspective. People's advice or perspective is based on what their goals were, what they wanted to do, what their mindsets were. It's coming through their lens. So a lot of times, if somebody's if somebody's in a position that isn't necessarily that you want to get to, or they got there in a way that doesn't align with your values, they're going to offer you advice that might not be great for you because following in that path or in that footstep isn't going to align with who you are. And I got asked this question the other day in an interview that said like 40% of the workforce is unhappy with where they are. And they asked me why. And I think the simple answer to that question is they're out of alignment, right? They're misaligned. What they're being asked to do, who they're waking up and, and having to show up to be every day isn't in alignment with who they would choose to be. It's not in alignment with what they would choose to do. And that could fall on the individual. That could be an individual problem, but I also think it's a leadership problem. I think leaders have to be responsible for knowing their people and knowing what they want to do, where they want to be, where they want to go in order to help align their mission and their daily activities with who that person wants to be and where they want to go. Yeah. I mean, you sound like a coach, right? You probably, I know that we talked about that before when we talked about this misalignment that just made me think of this book, the four agreements again, just because he talks about the shadow world and how, you know, that unhappiness or that discontent that we feel is because there's a misalignment with who we actually want to be and the messages that we were given from other people and just, you know, yeah, find someone who has what you want and do what they do, right? If, right. They, if they have what you, you want, go. if they have the athleticism that you want, ask them what their diet is, figure out how they're working out. If they have the career that you want, ask them how you can get from where you are to be closer to where they are. It, and, it, and that's based, the prerequisite there is that they have what you want, that they communicate with others the way that you want. And what's even crazier is that in today's world of content, you probably don't even have to ask them. If there's somebody of that kind of stature or status, they've probably been on a podcast or in an interview or written an article that actually tells you about it. Or maybe they're like Derek Jeter and they have a whole series about how they did what they did, right? Like the information is there for you now. And I think that's the part of doing the work, right? Like the first chapter in my book is is, is titled, just do the friggin' work, right? Like stop wishing, 
stop imagining. Don't fake it till you make it. Just figure out what the work is and then go do the work. And the more you do the work, the better you'll get. And the better you get, the more confidence you'll have. And the more confidence you have, the more responsibility you look to grab. And before you know it, you're going to be beyond what you thought you wanted to be. And you're going to be looking for what the next step is. I, you know, I hate that phrase, fake it till you make it. All you're doing, I mean, because you're lying to yourself and you know that subconsciously, you know that. And I think people conflate that phrase, fake it till you make it with what William James said, which was act as if. Now they cut it short. What he said was act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. That complete statement, what I focus in on is act as if what you do makes a difference. The do, the action, the actions you are taking. If you would like to accomplish a goal and the actions you are taking are what lead up to accomplishing that goal, then all you need to do is focus on taking those actions. You should not be worried about whether or not the goal will be accomplished because these are the actions that lead you there. If you're so that's walking- how I look at promotion, right? And that's how I ended up becoming a special teams coordinator in college football was I didn't hope to become the special teams coordinator. I looked at the special teams coordinator and I'm not acting as if I was him. I just saw what his job was and said, how much of his job can I do for him? How much responsibility could I take away from him in order to do the work of that job to prove to everybody around me that I could do the job that needed to be done? Not to take his job, that'd be great if I could, but who knows where the next opportunity is going to come from. And all I want to do is make everybody aware and make everybody and, and give everybody the confidence that if there was an opportunity, they would look to me to say, he could do it because I've seen him do it. And so that's where like people are like, oh, well, I want to be the VP of sales. Start acting like the VP of sales then. Start reaching out to that VP of sales and saying, hey, what can I do to help you? Get so good at what you do. And this is where like that work-life balance thing comes in, right? First of all, nothing comes without giving, right? Nothing is free. So there's going to be a cost to everything. Could be your time, could be energy, could be part of what you're already doing. You are going to have to give up something to get something new. So if you want more responsibility from that next role, then you either got to get so good at doing what you do that you can automate it and systemize it for yourself, or you got to be able to delegate it and offer it to somebody else to allow them the opportunity to grow. But you got to, or you got to add more time to your day to say, hey, I'm willing to put in some extra work to make your job easier and help me develop into the place that I want to be. Yeah. I mean, you, I, what I thought about when you were speaking was the saying that I say to a lot of people and the, like some of my friends, we, you know, if you follow a cake recipe, you wind up with cake, not steak. Right. right? <laughs> so you know what I mean? So like, yeah, if you want to be that thing, that's find the mentors, find the people, find other VPs of sales, ask them what their process is and then do their process. Right. Right. And, and I want to go back. So this is, you were talking about, you know, there's so much I can talk to you about, but you're coaching, right? And you talked about how there's a misalignment and there it's the responsibility of the leader or the person, or, you know, and I thought about you as a coach. And I know that you and I had had a conversation once before about, cause I was asking about the performance of the players. Like, how do you just get, what if I'm on the team? You know, not everyone's going to be the Michael Jordan. Not everyone's going to be the Tom Brady. How do you get the person to just play the position that they're supposed to play? Cause you talked about that when it came to sales or whatever position you're in, 
you can learn plays. I, I understood yep. that because I played football. You can learn the play that makes you successful at that thing without yep. having to be the best at it. Yep. And I, I think when, so what people most times don't think about when it comes to special teams is that there's only three people on the football team that were brought on the team to play special teams. The kicker, That's the kicker, the punter and the snapper, right? Like those are the only three people that are on the team to play special teams. Everybody else that's being, being asked to play special teams has a primary position that they were brought on the team to play. So this is an afterthought for them. And so in order to get people to buy in to what the overall mission was, is I had to get them to buy into more than just what their role was to begin with, right? Like we got to, as a unit, believe that we have the opportunity to affect the game positively. Now, that could be scoring touchdowns. That could be blocking kicks. That could be just kicking an extra point. Everything, we, we got to believe that we can affect the game positively. If everybody's in alignment and believes that, now I'm going to tie what you do into that overall goal. And that's my responsibility as the leader to show you why this individual role is so important to the overall goal of, of us affecting the game positively through special teams. And if I can do that for each individual to say, hey, what we're trying to do as a unit is impossible to do without this individual effort and responsibility. And I'm teaching you exactly how to do it. Now it's my responsibility to hold you accountable to that effort, that technique in order to be able to play the position. So that's where I think leaders sometimes are like, yeah, I set expectations. But then I'm like, well, how do you follow up on that setting of the expectation with not accountability and consequences, but with observation, communication and coaching, right? Like if I just tell you what to do and then look at the result and say, well, you didn't do it, do it again next time. And then look at the result again and say, well, you didn't do it, do it again next time. I'm not actually doing anything to help you. If I don't observe and then be able to communicate to figure out why you're not able to do the thing I'm asking you to do. You might not be physically able to do it. I may have you in the wrong position. I may be asking you to do something that you legitimately cannot do. I've now done you a disservice and I'm holding you accountable to something that you can't do. So there's a whole part of communication and aligning. Hey, what do you want to do? You want, if you don't want to help the football team win, I can't find a position for you on the field. So understanding what people's goals are and then having the skill or the understanding to be able to align that individual's goal. Well, coach, I just want to be the best player I can be. Excellent. I'm going to show you how your skill sets then can offer you the opportunity to be the best player you can be that fits into this entire system. Or coach, I want to score touchdowns. That's all I want to do. If I don't put you in a position to score touchdowns, then I'm the one who's dumb because you told me what you wanted to do. And I'm asking you to do something that isn't in alignment with who you are. I got to go find somebody else to fit that role. That's not going to score touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Holding people accountable. And let act- me give it to you in a business sense real quick, right? Cause that's a lot of football terms. Not everybody's a sports fan. The number one activity that people need to be, held accountable to in developing new business in a biz dev role is having conversations, right? 
If I have a business development person that isn't interested in having conversations, who's the one that's wrong? Is it me or is it them? Right? Like, here's the number one metric. You got to have conversations. I'm not a person who likes to talk to people. What are you doing in this role then? You know what I mean? Why have we put you here? We're setting you up for failure. Yeah. You know what? There's, I'm a, I'm, you know, before doing this, I was a sales guy and there's so many people that are in that industry and they're like, yeah, I just don't want to talk to people. Or they're like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go to that. I don't want to go to that association meeting or, you know, even the cold call. I was like, yeah, I just don't like talking to people on the phone. I'm gonna send a bunch of emails instead. It was like, well, that's not, you can't. Eventually you're going to have to talk to somebody. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not a proponent <clears throat> for cold calling by any means, but whatever tactic you're using to get people's attention, the ultimate goal is to convert it to a conversation. Because in today's world, if you have buyers that are willing to buy without conversations, they don't need you. You're so you don't have a job. Then, yeah. you know, it's your job to go get the people who need the education, who need the relationship, who want those things and turn those things into opportunities. So if you're not willing to have conversations, it's going to be really hard for you to be successful in a business development role in today's world. Doesn't mean you don't belong in the organization, but maybe you should be on the tactical side of marketing. Maybe you should be in an analytics role. Maybe you should be in an internal role where you're facing teammates and helping teammates be successful. What doesn't mean that you don't belong in, on the team. We just have you in the wrong position. Right. Yeah. You, you know, you're trying to be the quarterback when you're a better lineman or, or whatever. And that's, that's the leader's role. Like not everybody has self-awareness. It's our job as leaders to help people develop their self-awareness so that we can make the organization successful. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual individual though. So like if you are that person, I want to talk to you. I mean, you got a lot of energy. Both of us do. Right. Yeah. And, and so I want to talk about like the individual routines and the accountability of the individual of what we can be doing for ourselves to put ourselves, set ourselves up for success in that frame of mind. What time do you wake up? You know, I mean, I, I put in the time and the energy to developing my mindset and taking the time out for myself to that I need in order to start my day so that I can be as productive as possible. What are some of the things that you found helpful for those high performing athletes and then those high performing people at, you know, in, in workplaces is that they have a routine period, right? Like you can't not have a routine because routine creates rhythm. Rhythm creates a cadence that you're able to follow. And once you're in that rhythm, you're able to operate without thinking the hardest part of, Waking up early to work out is not having a workout written for yourself, not knowing exactly what you're going to do when you get up and the alarm goes off. And now you're trying to think about what you're going to do next. What makes waking up early easier is having an exact set process of what you want to do. As soon as the alarm goes off, I'm going to turn the alarm off. I'm going to put my feet on the floor. I'm going to go brush my teeth. If I can get to that point, now I can go make the coffee. I can get dressed for the gym. I can get to the gym. I can get in my inbox. I can write. I can read. I can meditate. I can do any of those other things. But I got to have some kind of system and routine that allows me to operate without having to think all of the time. We had a, you know, a, a term in football that we used to say, you know, clear mind, fast feet. If I'm thinking, I'm not playing fast. If I'm thinking, I'm slow. So how do I, number one, develop a 
process or a routine for myself that gets me out of thinking and just into executing. And so like, you don't have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning if that's not who you are. You do have to wake up early though, right? And early is whatever's early for you. Early could be 6 a.m. Early could be 7 a.m. Early could be 9 a.m. if you're working till four o'clock in the morning, right? Like early is early to whoever you are in your routine, but you got to have that routine. And so experimenting with the things that might help you, like the Saint, the Surfer and the CEO is a great book, right? I read that early on in my professional career. It's Robin Sharma. And some of my big takeaways from that were like, get comfortable with your thoughts, get comfortable with that inner dialogue, get comfortable hearing that voice, practice gratitude every day, have a grateful mindset and wake up early, like figure out what early is and be the first one in, get a workout in before other people, but get something done before everybody else because of the sense of accomplishment. It's going to feed you compared to everybody else. And then that feeds your mindset. So like, to me, we say it starts in the brain, but your brain is looking for input for that mindset. So you got to feed it things. You got to feed it content. You got to feed it activity. You got to feed it affirmations because your brain is just looking to prove whatever you tell it. Correct. That's it. Yeah. I, all day. It's got a lens on that says, you told me I suck. I'm going to look for everything that points to the truth of you sucking. And I'm going to validate that. If you say I'm great, all your brain's going to do all day is look for the validation of you being great. Yeah. The reticular activating system. It's the brain's filter. It's there for a reason. And it does just that. It looks for other opportunities. If it thinks when you buy a blue car and you see all blue cars, that's not because everybody else bought a blue car. It just let that information in. So when you say that, you know, I'm fat, ugly, stupid, and I'll never be successful it thinks, oh, that's what he likes to think. So let's find more opportunities to reinforce what he already thinks. I've never noticed baby strollers until I got a baby stroller. And you better believe that as soon as I bought a baby stroller, I started noticing every stroller, brand, wheels, gadgets. I was like, I see it all now. It wasn't because those strollers weren't there before. It's because I bought a stroller. That information got put into my brain and now it recognizes it every time that it sees it. That's the way our brains work. Yeah. We can't possibly take in everything or even we can't be aware of everything that we take in at all times. Right. And I love, you know, Robin Sharma. I'm a huge fan. Right. The 5 a.m. club, club. uh, the monk who sold his Ferrari. I mean, I, I, you know, those are the two that always get talked about. I don't know why St. Surfer CEO doesn't get talked about more. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah. When you said it, my brain was like, we know this book. And and then when you said Rama Sharma, I was like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, a lot of people push back and they say, well, you know, I don't have the motivation to wake up on time. And I always tell them to act their way into a better way of thinking because you're not going to be able to think up better actions. Well, yeah. So as soon as I hear somebody tell me that they don't have the motivation to wake up early, I'm like, that's because you just said that. If you would have said, you know what? I do have the motivation to get up early then you hold yourself accountable to what you just said. That's an entirely different mindset and motivation. You're, a, you're, you're defeating yourself before you even get started by verbalizing. I mean, it was 60,000 60, negative thoughts a day, right? Like that was part of being in sports was I got to work with a lot of 
mental conditioning coaches, right? Trevor Moad, rest in peace, died of cancer, has two great books. It takes what it takes and getting to neutral. And he's worked with, you know, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, but he also worked with a lot of the college programs that I was around, Nick Saban's programs, Jimbo Fisher's programs, Kirby Smart's programs. And a lot of what he talked about was not verbalizing the negative thoughts that we have. You can't really control the fact that your mind is going to try to play games with you. It's going to have doubt. It's going to have fear. Those things are going to come out. But as soon as you choose to verbalize those things, there is a much higher likelihood of them being true or coming to fruition because you spoke it out loud. So understanding how to put a filter on our thoughts from what comes to our brain and what comes out of our mouth. And instead of saying, wow, we really suck, we can say, wow, we've had a bad stint. But the reality is, is that what's happened before has no consequence on what happens in the future. The only thing that has a consequence of what happens in the future is what I do right now. The past is the past. It is what it is. We can choose to let the past affect the present, which will for sure affect the future. Or you can make the decision not to let the past affect the present. Do what you need to do now to affect the future positively. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Bruce Lee, words have uh, words are like spells, right? That's why they call and it spelling. I think that's like, as you get into self-help or as you get into self-development or as you get into mastering the art of, of development, you realize that like the principles we're talking about can be fa- found in like the Bhagavad Gita, which is like the, 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 the Hindu text that was written 6,000 years ago, right. or it could be found in the Bible, which was written 3,000 years ago, you know, like, or 2,000 years ago. None of this is like, news. It's not new information. Yeah. It's just repackaged yeah. over and over and over. And the more people that adopt it, live it, and understand it, then say, well, I got to share this with other people because I can't be the only one who knows this. Yeah. I mean, that's what that, I mean, that's why you wrote your book. That's why I'm, I'm developed the whole human method. I mean, it's all the same information that, you know, the, the idea of just picking a time and waking up and feeling accomplished, make your bed every day. Right. right. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Right. Like we get this message all the time. It just, you know, uh, it's, it's not, none of it is news, but what something, someone that listens to you may not listen to me. Right. So we both need to be saying it because we all have our tribe, right? We have our community. Well, and I think the other thing is that we live in a, in a world that has a ton of inputs, right? There's notifications and there's TVs on, there's screens on everywhere. There's, there's, we're constantly being inundated with information. And the reality is, is people can say, oh, well, I don't have habits, no, you have habits. You just yeah. didn't choose to form those habits. That's right. They were formed for you. That's right. And as soon as you take the responsibility of forming your habits, or you can say, well, I don't really have a mindset. I just kind of operate. No, you have a mindset. You're just not in control over what your mindset is because it's being developed by everything that's happening around you. So taking responsibility for the things that are around us, the routines and the habits that we have and the way we think and what we say, if we're just willing to start there. Right. And I always say that like people get, you know, it's leadership. I'm, I'm in a leadership position. Leadership is a lifestyle, not a title. Right. So if you're willing to lead yourself first, 
then you can offer yourself the opportunity to lead others. But leading yourself first means being responsible, taking ownership over all of the things that are within your impact, and also having some candor with yourself and speaking honestly to the person you see in the mirror about what's really happening. Yeah. Everything in my life is of my own making, right? I mean, I'm, right. I'm responsible and, right. and taking that accountability. Now that doesn't mean that other things don't land on me, but just like if there's something about my life that I, I don't want to be happening, I need to look at my habits and I need to look at the actions that have gotten me here. And that's so there's, how a, there's a story from my book that I talk about. I was at the university of Cincinnati. I was 27 years old. I was probably the youngest coordinator in major division one football and we had a good year and we finished within the top 20 on special teams. I recruited some guys out of Florida to go to a bowl game. We finished the bowl game. We go on vacation and I get a call from the head coach and I get fired over the phone, mm. right? From the head coach while I'm on vacation. And it was like an earth shattering moment. Right. And when I asked him for the feedback of like, Hey coach, like what can I learn from this experience to get better know, what, what would have helped me keep my job here? His response to me was, oh, no, you did a good job. This is just part of the business. And so it wasn't really my fault that I got fired. It wasn't anything that I did or wasn't anything that I could have done to keep that job. That was going to happen regardless. But that didn't mean that it wasn't my responsibility still. That thing that happened to me wasn't my fault, but it was still my responsibility. I still had to process it. I still had to learn from it. I still had to go get my next opportunity because I could either let that moment define me or I could define that moment. And so that's where, you know, the title of the book is football or family football and failure. It's the principles that I learned from my family that help me navigate all of these challenges and all of these lessons that I learned in football and the failure that came through all of that, that led me to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I've learned way more from my failures than I have from my successes. I mean, all of the lessons that I've learned over my lifetime have come from something relative. I mean, not relatively tragic. I mean, I was trying to kill myself, you know, eight years ago. I was, you know, the way that I was living and, and, and we just, we learn from our failures and that, but what I, what I like about that is you learn from your failures. I think that's one thing that not everybody understands. And I think that's a lesson that people need to learn is that when you, look up the definition of failure. Like, do you know what the actual definition of failure is? It's the omission of an expected action or result. So like, as like, so we fail all day, every day, right? Like as soon as I expect to make the green light and it turns red, I just failed, you know, right? Like, so every time we expect something to happen or expect there to be a certain result and that that's a failure. Yet we look at failure as this monumental, heavy action or consequence to life. So if, if more people learn that failure was something to live with and something to expect and something to feed off of, essentially, because failure offers you the opportunity to get uncomfortable, to analyze it, to review it, to learn something from it, and then apply those lessons moving forward. That's the real difference is it's not that people just get lucky on the first stroke and go on to be successful their entire lives. The people that tend to be the most successful have failed the most times and figured out from those failures 
how to then continue to become successful. Yeah. And that's what we mean by resilience, right? It's the ability to bounce back from challenges or adversity. And we become more resilient over time, the more that we have adversity. And look like you, you get stronger, the more you lift weights, you get faster, the, the more you train, you get smarter, the more you read, you become more resilient, the more you deal with adversity. That's just the nature. It's just another muscle. It's just another skill. And so like, I applaud the leaders who are constantly putting their people in uncomfortable positions to build resiliency and to teach them how to overcome adversity because they know that's going to serve that individual and that organization in the long run, even though it might not make them the most likable person at the moment. Yeah. Well, look, we've kind of organically talked about pretty much everything that I like to talk about on the show. <laughs> we've, we've said, I mean, I don't think anyone listening to you is not going to, is, is going to be able to miss that you're a grateful person, that you practice gratitude in your life, that you've got a lot of energy. We talked about, you know, we talk a lot about a mindset and look, we have what, 70,000 thoughts per day, right? 90% of which are going to be repetitive. So if we can maintain, if we can take control of what those thoughts are, and you talked about the power of saying things out loud, I'm a big, I am statement person, right? Whatever I yep. put after I am is, is incredibly important because that's how I identify myself with. And then my reticular activating system is listening to what I say and it's going to go find that stuff. Yeah. So like, I want to be very deliberate about that. That's right. And, and I just, I love when I talk to you because we share a lot of the same reading and the mindset and, 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 but there's one question that I ask everybody that's been on the show and that's of a jumping off point. Now you shared something with us, but I don't know, maybe there's something different. So when I say jumping off point, I mean a moment in time where you can no longer continue doing what you're doing, but you may be uncertain of what to do next. And that may be a time in your life where you were physically in pain, emotionally in pain or both. But looking back on it now, you wouldn't change a single thing about it because without that experience, without that event, without that challenge or adversity, you wouldn't either be the person you are, have someone in your life that you do, have a, a, a perception of the world around you that you do, some fact of your life that you're grateful for wouldn't exist without that. So I look at my career as having always been a coach, but just coaching in different arenas changing arenas was a moment that was very scary um, and, and very unsure. I was positive I could no longer be a football coach because I knew I wasn't willing to pay the price and sacrifice what I needed to sacrifice in order to do the job the way it needed to be done. So as soon as, in my mind, if I'm not willing to give it everything, as soon as I think, feel like I'm going to start cheating the system, I know that this isn't a place for me. So I knew that that wasn't the place I was going to be in the coming year. Or I knew it wasn't going to be in that arena, but I had no idea what arena it was going to be in. I had no idea what the future would look like. And having spent the previous 14 years of my life with a very clear direction and where I was going and what I was working towards, to think that I was going to move that North Star and I didn't know what the next North Star was going to look like was a very scary moment for me. But thank God it did because it pushed me to all of these new opportunities, pushed me to learning all of these new skills, being able to impact people with a far greater reach than I was as a college football coach. And it led me to meeting you. It led me to me being here. And none of this happens without that moment. And so 
while I dealt with that and there were plenty of sleepless nights and moments that I was laying there in bed, like, should I go back? Did I make a mistake? What am I doing? Like I'm starting all over. This is crazy. Thank God for that moment because I'm where I'm at today. Yeah. And you stayed the path. I mean, I think I've had multiple nights like that, you know, recently, but it's, we just stay the path. And, and I think it's really important that like people hear that I, I don't, I've never done anything alone, never anything, right? Like I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for my dad, my mom, because they've always been there to listen and either encourage to continue or support in changing, right? Like they've never said, no, you have to do this. They've truly listened to me and say, Hey, what I hear is that this sounds like what you want to do. And if that's the thing you want to do, then you have 100% of my support and you'll be great at it. So, you know, you got to have the right people around you. You got to have the right inner circle and the right support system. Yeah. You know, something you were saying earlier about, I, I think of diet as everything that we put in our body. It's not just the food we put in our mouth. So it's everything that we consume. It's the energy of the people we surround ourselves with. It's the stuff we're reading, the stuff we're listening to, the stuff we're watching. That's a healthy diet. That's a healthy human diet. And yep. it sounds like, you know, you've had people in your life and you've been able to develop a process in which you maintain a healthy diet of everything that you consume. I like to look at myself or other people as just monitors, right? Like they're a computer monitor, they're a TV screen. And what's coming out of that TV screen are all of the plugs that have been put into that TV screen. If the TV is not plugged into the wall and it's not connected to some kind of device that can stream or play or a cable cord or something that can put out information, it's just blank. It's just a blank screen. So you got to look at people as they're not necessarily choosing to portray what's coming. They've got all of these inputs that are coming into them. And as leaders, it's our responsibility to figure out what those inputs are to help them get the right things to come out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your message. Um, You know, and I look forward to meeting you. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I look forward to meeting you in person at some point, man. We, we need I to make get that on down to Florida. Let's do this thing. already. Yeah, I will. I think I'm all done with DC. Yeah, or maybe, let's go. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> we got to party together. Like we'll, um, we'll get, uh, what part of Florida are you guys down in there with you and your dad? Lauderdale. We'll get four. Airport is 15 minutes away from my house. So all you got to tell me is that you're landing at Fort Lauderdale airport and I will be there. Yeah. 100% man. All right. All right. So ended the broadcast. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. How do you feel? Great. It was awesome. Yeah, man. I, and I think we, uh, we jived a lot better than uh, maybe the first time. And like, I think I was distracted with Riverside. Riverside is just shit, dude. Like I don't, <laughs> it's garbage. yeah. And then the sound quality, it's nice that they give you individual tracks, but I mean like I'm, Oh, let me see.